non-religious Christian news breaking once again. The gloves are off. Pastor Ron, this is Yakanan, and we're opening up because we were going at it for the last couple of weeks. And I'm going to say something. I got a preview, Pastor Ron, next week. We were already into next week's show, pre-show. <laughs> <laughs> next week, we're going to talk a little bit about hell. What the hell is what we're going to call that show. <laughs> what the hell? Because I'm finding out Pastor Ron has been enlightening me. Not everybody actually believes there is a hell, number one. And number two, will it last forever? So the common perception, Pastor Ron, is there is a hell. You're going to burn forever. But you're going to call in and say, or you're going to talk to us and say, well, wait a minute. Maybe it doesn't last forever, and but it does exist. So we're going to get into all the nuances and all of those dynamics here next week. That and more, because we're not going to just talk about hell, but we talk about the soul. Does it last forever? That was you, you were you were having my head spin this morning already. <laughs> I just had yogurt. I need some more here. Um, but this week, this week we have a guest who's uh, with us. He is a prison minister. So Pastor Ron, this is going to be right up your alley because you go into the prisons frequently. Uh, this minister, his name is David, and he does kind of a peer-to-peer, -peer, a relational type ministry. And we're gonna reach out to him, he's gonna reach out to us, and we're gonna converse with him for the next 20 or so minutes. And so we would like to welcome in our caller and our guest, Minister David. David, are you there? Can Hi, you hear me? good morning. Good morning, hey, how's your, how's your day going? It's going well. I'm just sitting here at work and trying not to be nervous. At, well, you're going to do fine, number one. All you're going to do is just talk to Pastor Ron and myself. And number two, you're at work. Did, that, did I hear that correctly? You're at work right now? Yes, I do. Um, I do computer support. And so on the weekends, there's a, a small church that I contract for. Actually, it's a decent-sized church. So this is my Saturday morning. Wow. Excellent. Well, we want to thank you for taking time out of work to be here with Pastor Ron, myself, and every once in a while, we'll have a novice named uh, Zachariah who will jump on the line. <laughs> but uh, first off, tell us a little bit about your ministry. You go into the prisons out here on the East Coast. Tell us a little bit about what you do in those prisons. Uh, I do. I've been doing that for about nine years now. Um, Actually, when I started, I didn't have any real desire or knowledge to do it, but I, um, as you guys were talking about apostles last week or, or the week before, I was um, thinking of that. Like, I think I identify with that pretty well. Um, but I like to go and I like to start things and uh, do things for God. So I had a friend that she wanted to go start a prison ministry. Um, I think she had some family background in it. Um, but she wanted to do men's prison and didn't feel comfortable going alone. So I said, sure, I'll go do that. Let's go figure it out. And um, the attitude we took towards it is we don't know anything about the prison system, prison ministry. So uh, we went in with a servant attitude and just you know, met with some of the guys. We initially tried to meet with a chaplain, and he just stuck us in a room with uh, five guys and said, here, talk to them. They know. Uh, so we had a conversation with them, and we said, we don't know what you need, but we want to be here to serve you, so what can we do to help? Uh, and that's kind of how it all started. Now, 
I also assume, you know, you've been doing this for nine years. And, and so I, I presume that this is not your first stint at ministry because you have a ministry to your family. You have ministry to your coworkers and things of that nature, even though it might not be formal. What do you see as the major difference between what you see outside the walls versus what you see inside? Um, I think for me, um, where it all started was I... I heard a brother talk at a, at a men's thing and, um, he was on a business track in college and all that. And, um, just was looking at his life and he said, you know, I, I didn't want to go just be a success in the business world. And so, um, I asked God what I should do and he had a roofing business and he said, God told him to go roof a house in every state in one year for Habitat for Humanity. And I was like, that is the coolest thing I've ever heard. Um, and it kind of opened my eyes that, you know, if God calls you to go do something, you don't really need any permission to go do it. Um, you just need to go do it. And so um, that's something that I, I try to get across to people that, you know, inside the walls of the church is wonderful, but God doesn't necessarily call everyone to the inside the walls of the church all the time. You know, we always have um, at church, so we're talking about volunteers, come be an usher, come do this, and that just sounds horrible to me. I couldn't <laughs> imagine doing that on a weekly basis, but you know, going where people are, sharing the love of Christ, um, and just being with people, um, I think that is my calling, but you know, both are equally important. The, the church um, as an institution for all of its flaws is something that's there and it's something that is reaching people. So it's, it's an, and, um, we need people to go and we need people to settle as well. Three, two, three, seven, four, 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 eight, four, one. If you want to join in this conversation right now, we're talking with David, David out of the East coast. He goes into prisons. He is a prison minister. And, and David, I also want to ask you, and then I'm going to open it up for uh, Pastor Ron and maybe uh, Zachariah to ask you a few questions. But have you experienced any demonic interference while trying to minister within the prisons? Because we know that prison can be a dark place. We know that there's a lot of anger, a lot of animosity. There's uh, innocent people incarcerated wrong. There's there's wrong people incarcerated who are wrong. You know, have, have you found any demonic interference or demonic influence while trying to minister within those walls? Um, I've heard about it from the brothers, but I haven't experienced it personally, and I'm very thankful for that. Um, I've experienced it in in my own life, um, but thankfully inside the walls, you know, I've been sheltered and protected from that. Um, I've had people ask me similar questions or if I'm scared going in, but the institutions that I go into, they're lower level facilities. And so it's not like I'm going into like a super max or, you know, anywhere, every place is potentially dangerous, but you know, these are all level one, level twos. So it's been pretty safe. And do you find that the inmates are receptive to your ministry or do you find a lot of resistance? Uh, it, it, they've been incredibly receptive. Um, I haven't, I guess we should talk about what the ministry is. And for me at this point, it's a lot of it is the ministry of presence. Um, 
a ministry of listening. When we first started going in, you know, everything needs a name, and so we're trying to figure out what do we call this thing, and uh, we settled on voice ministry at that time um, because we, in talking to people, we just really felt like inmates, you know, they're they're dehumanized. They're they're made to be easy to manage, and when you can break someone down, take away their voice, they become easier to manage. And so we wanted to be that place where guys can come and share their voice. Um, so, you know, one of the things that we do um, now on a weekly basis, we just kind of sit around and talk and talk about God, similar to what you guys are doing, you know, wrestle with the Bible, what is this? life of faith look like. Um, and so I think that the guys really feel a connection to someone coming in and wanting to hear what they have to say and talking to them like people because they are people and, you know, they have their own struggles. They have their own experience with God and it's all valid. And I've learned so much from it. And I go in as an open book myself. So I'll tell you about the struggles in my marriage. I'll tell you about, you know, what it's like to be a dad um, you know, just sharing that. So people are receptive, I think, because it, it's not really a, a threatening thing. It's more of a, a discipleship and walking alongside kind of thing. Yeah, David, I had a question. I go into prison also. Uh, I go in once a week. I used to go in twice a week. In the summer, I cut it down to one week. And uh, I've always, I taught a faith-based 12-step program, and I'm doing a, a, a study now, we usually take a chapter a week, but it sounds like you go in with just kind of an open agenda and just kind of model what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a father. Do you go in with a, a study in mind, or do you just go in to talk and ask questions and, and let the conversation go where it will? Uh, the latter there. Um, I don't think that, you know, these, these guys are not dying for lack of knowledge, um, what I've learned over time is many of these guys, they know the Bible inside and out, but they don't really understand what it looks like to live that or practice that. Um, they have a kind of a theoretical faith at times that, you know, well, I think it should work like this, and this is how it works inside this institution. Um, and it doesn't always translate to how it works uh, in out, on outside of the wall. Uh, and I think... The other piece is that, you know, we're all on this adventure journey process. Um, and I think people very inside and out lose sight of at one point you were at the very beginning. Uh, and so now these new truths that you've figured out that you think you've found all the answers, um, you start to look down on the ones that don't get it yet. Um, and I, I try to be very sensitive and recognize that, you know, I was a babe, I still am a babe, um, and the things that I've learned have come over time, and the things that these guys have learned are going to come over time. Um, I can tell someone what the Bible says about something, but until they take that to God and they wrestle with that and they start to understand it and come to God speaks to them on it, I feel like just saying, yeah, the Bible says this, so you have to follow it. Um, for me, I have to try to understand why a little bit more before I can really integrate it into myself and my faith. 
You know, I, I agree. Uh, we go in with a I go in with a specific lesson, but often it's not. It'll get into other subjects. And it sounds like what you do, and I think this is the real value, you model what it means to think and act like a mature Christian. Uh, how you deal with a, a situation when you're not getting along with your wife or how you deal with you know, children that aren't walking in the faith or how you deal with what it means to be a father, just kind of modeling a the way Christians live and think. And, and so, yeah, you're right. Sometimes these guys have a lot of information, but I don't think they always know how to uh, how to express it in a mature kind of way. And it sounds like that's what you're doing, and I really uh, applaud you for that. Um, well, thank you. I appreciate that. So one question I would like to ask is, um, with dealing with inmates, um, have you seen somebody that was kind of on the fence and then all of a sudden they're on fire, only to be released and then go completely back to their old ways. Oh, absolutely. Um, and it, it breaks my heart because it just it happened within the last year. There was a a guy that had started coming, um, and he was talking to the other brothers there, and really had a, a genuine interest. And you know, one week. I went in, um, and we were doing a, we usually just pull up in a circle and have a discussion. Um, I've, I have another leader, one of the inmates. Uh, one of the things I've tried to do in prison ministry is teach them to be prison ministers as well. This thing that I do isn't rocket science. Um, so I think that they know best of what their environment's like, what their experience is like. And so I try to get them to minister to each other, which has been um, very successful recently. Uh, so this, the one guy's coming around um, on a weekly basis, asking a lot of questions. Um, I came in, and I could kind of sense that he, he had something going on, so I just pulled him out of the circle, and, you know, they continued the conversation, and we went, and we sat on the side and we talked uh, for about two hours just about his life, his growing up, um, what faith looks like, what he's doing with this, wrestling with it, and felt like we had a, a good connection. Um, and then we followed up on some other conversations, gave him my number, you know, when you get out, call me, like, call me day one. You know, I'd like to get together and help you walk this thing. Um, and I never heard from him. And... You know, my my experience has been the guys that do want to talk to me uh, because they want that guidance and mentoring or friendship, whatever we want to call it, um, they will reach out. And the guys that are going to go their own way, they do that. So I'm a, an eternal optimist where I just I hope that they found their way and they're doing great and they don't need me. Um, but usually what happens is they've gone a different way. 323-744-4841. If you want to call in and talk and ask a question to our guest, who is Davi David, who is calling on the East Coast. He is a prison minister by by nature and, and by craft. And he's also just a minister. And, and sometimes I don't like to generalize and say this is only where you're going to minister because a minister ministers wherever. But sometimes we have a primary audience. Sometimes we have a secondary 
But David is just a minister who I got to know over the over the last year. And so, David, um, I do want to ask you, how much do you find yourself being ministered to while there? Like, I know you mentioned you have leaders that you help and you want them to kind of go out onto the prison yard and, and, and minister to others. But how much do you find yourself leaving that place edified or do you ever find yourself leaving discouraged? Um, it is actually, it is one of the most life-giving things in my life. Um, I, as I get older, it's hard to find friends, um, which you guys may have experienced. And I kind of joke, but like my best friends are in prison, most of them. Um, and so, you know, for me, it's, it's been a, a bonding experience, a growing experience, um, something that has really only happened on the outside of those walls just once for me, where I've been able to walk alongside and, you know, really minister someone through their struggles. Um, but going in there, I can, I can really feel the sense of purpose and the reason that God has me there. Um, there have been times that I've struggled with it because I don't want to just keep doing something just because I've always done it. Um, if God's not in what I'm doing, I don't want to be doing it. And so there are times when I've had to sit back and evaluate, is what I'm doing right now working? Um, and so this, this past um, week when I was in there, it had been after like a six-week break in that institution. I'd been going into the other one, but due to scheduling and the chaplains there, I wasn't able to get in. And both of the guys that I meet with regularly there, um, you know, they thought I had just give it up on them. Um, you know, like they know we're friends, but you know, they, they shared with me like, yeah, I just I thought maybe you had just decided to go do something else. And it, it really brought home how important it is, um, to them for me to be there, to be that, um, year, the one guy's getting ready to go up for his parole hearing. He's really nervous about it. Um, he has trust issues with people in general, um, just based on his life experiences. And as I was standing there with him, getting ready to leave, um, we talked about that a little bit. I said, I know that you have trouble trusting people, um, but I want you to know that I I'm trustworthy and this is God's gift to you, this relationship and friendship that we have. I vow to be here with you until you go home. Um, and he's like, no, nah, I don't want to impose that on you. And I said, you know, I don't really care what you want at this point. This is what God is doing for you. And he wants you to be able to trust people. He wants you to be able to have this relationship. Um, and, you know, it, I think it really sunk in for him, but it also sunk in for me of just, yeah, this, this is really important um, in this man's life. And so I need to make sure that I treat it with the importance. Um, that he does. Now, do you find a lot of people coming to either you and or God because they want to get out early? Or do you find genuine people who are looking for some sort of transformation? And I'm going to I'm going to ask and I know I need you to I need you to answer that kind of fast because we have somebody on the line for you as well. But go ahead and tackle that uh, question. And then we're going to answer this call for you. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm going to say both. Um, you know, and I, like I said earlier, I think of it all as part of a journey. Um, they are, there's one guy I had a, a tough conversation with where I felt like he was just trying to, he said he was trusting in God, but he was trying to work all of these different, like, sideways appeals and um, things like that. And so I didn't want to have this conversation, but I felt very strongly that God wanted to have that conversation. And so I said, you know, I, I don't feel like you're trusting God in this. I feel like you're trying to find legal loopholes to get yourself out early. And if you just sit back and wait and know God, uh, it'll happen. And eventually it did. So, um, yeah, I think some guys come looking for, yeah, God will get me out. And other guys, they're coming for genuine growth and change. And no matter what, it's going to play a part in their life that God's doing. Absolutely. And, and right now, online, too, we have Michael from Ohio. Hello, Michael. And thanks for calling. Hello. No problem, man. And do you have a question or do you have a testimony for David? Uh, actually, both. Um, how you doing, Dave? Hey, how are you, Mike? <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I can testify um, to Dave's impact uh, in that um, I am one of the one of the men that he used to come in and, and visit. Um, you know, I know that, uh, when he comes in, he does leave more energized and, and, you know, part of being in the body of Christ is, uh, the joy that you get from the, the sharing of the spirit that energizes everybody. You know, when you're giving and giving and giving out, uh, naturally speaking, um, you know, mathematics says, says that that's going to drain you, right? You're, 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 it's, it's going to take away from you to give to others. But when you're sharing of the spirit, you can give and give and give, and everyone increases. You know, everyone leaves uh, feeling better. Everyone leaves knowing more, loving God more, um, further edified, all those different things. Um, so I can testi uh, testify to that. That um, you know, he's had an impact on my life just being just being a brother, uh, you know, a real brother in the truest sense, in in, in ways that I could barely under, you know barely understand, uh, because God is, has you know made David a, an exceptional servant. Um, he's got this thing where you know, if God tells him to do something, even if he doesn't want to, <laughs> uh, he just wow. does it. You know that you know right. That's 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 servanthood, you know. That's being a servant, and um, it's something that I admire about him, and something that I've you know I've said to him personally as well. Um, so I just wanted to, in front of the entire country, David, to tell you that I really appreciate your friendship, your brotherhood, um, and really everything, and and how much you love, uh, how much you love and serve our father. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And and yeah, we do too. Uh, Michael, and do you have a question? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. The, the only question I, I, I had is, uh, David, what's your perception of uh, from week to week uh, the growth of the brothers? I mean, have you noticed an abnormal amount of growth? Um, you know, checking in on someone once a week, uh, you can get like a almost like a picture book, uh, a flip book snapshot of how how they're progressing. And mind you, you know anybody can play a role for you know a couple hours on you know, one day every week, but, um, 
have you seen an abnormal amount of growth or an abnormal amount of stagnation to what you're compared to inside and outside? I mean, what's your opinion of that? Um, I think that I I end up in kind of a in a position of bias, um, just because you know people that come over to to hang out, it's it's all voluntary, and so. One of the things that I've always tried to do in in this ministry is not offer anything at all except me and Jesus, of course. But, you know, like, I'm not bringing cookies. I'm not bringing – you don't get a certificate for coming over um, right. to, do, to do this. So the guys that come are the guys that want to be there. Um, and so that there is – there is growth. Um, I can think of a, a couple of individuals. Um, the one ministry is larger than the other in the different institutions. And so, you know, watching the one at GCI, I see a community growing, a, a discipleship culture that we set out to start all those years ago. Um, you know, Michael was one of the leaders in that and um, how we came to know each other. Um, and so I see a lot of growth in there in the in the leaders, and now we have second, third generation discipleship relationships happening. Um, and so there is, a, I feel, an abnormal amount of growth there because it, it becomes that exponential growth as more men come to know that relationship and are really seeking after God. Um, and then they bring others into that as well, and then they're able to walk with them, and it's not just slap them on the butt, okay, pray, read your Bible, go to church, and you're good. So we have a, a culture where these guys are learning how to walk faith and to pursue Christ and come into that real relationship with God. Um, and then on the, the other side, one of the things I've been learning more about in my own life is just the, the growth through tension, um, because I think that the most basic um, struggle of our flesh versus God and our sin nature versus His nature and how we should live, we always live in that tension. Um, and that tension, for me... Um, it's something that should always produce growth. That's how we. That's how I try to resolve that tension is to come to understand it a little better. Um, and so when I'm in the smaller group, uh, GRC, I'm able to ask more challenging questions and call people out a little bit more, um, and then leave them to struggle with that and see what happens over the next week or two until I see them again. So I'd say overall, there's. There's abnormal growth compared to what I see in others on a daily basis, where people are just kind of stagnant and going through life, not really with a desire for more. And I don't, I don't understand that. Well, we want to thank you, uh, David. First, you said you were uh, nervous, and I can't tell that you were nervous. You did excellent, uh, brother Michael from Ohio. We want to thank you for calling, and, and you know, even though you're going to hang up now, don't think you can't call back. The phone lines are going to be open. But, David, in the last 30 seconds, I just want to know if you had one message 
right now you could give to all prisoners around the world because we're around the world on, on the BBS network. But you can say it without fear. Say something that you you almost would regret, but you're so glad you can finally say it and you don't have to have fear that there's going to be any backlash. What is that statement? And I know you only have 30 seconds and this could be and that's a 30 minute answer. Uh, but what is the message? I, I think the overwhelming message is that God is there and the life that you will find you will find in him. My thing is all about obedience as Mike said. Um, and so if you're looking at God for a way out or for what you want out of him, you're not going to get that. Um, what, you're, what you should look for in God is the life of John the Baptist. He did exactly what God wanted him to do, fulfilled that role to a T, and he still lost his head. So you need to be <laughs> willing to lose your head if you're going to do this. I love it. That's excellent. David, we want to thank you. You know, this is the first time you called in. We hope it is not the last. Thank you. We're going to let you get back to work and uh, we will talk to you real soon. For yeah, David, you guys. I appreciate it. Sure thing. For David and Michael, that was David on the East Coast and he is a prison minister and he goes into some of the prisons out in the Cleveland area, Grafton. Uh, and Grafton Reintegration Center being a few of those. And we want to thank him for joining us. Pastor Ron, we have to finish. We have to wrap up this debate that we've been talking about, too. We've been going in on two major topics. And we're going to open up the phone lines for this, because if you've tuned in to the last couple of shows, you can go back to the archive and find them on bbsradio.com. Station 2, look for the non-religious Christian news and hit the archives, and they are there. We... uh. We've been talking about two things, controversial, right off the top. And, and David, I love, I love how he said it. It's about that tension. If you're living a life of tension, you're going to grow from it. Two things are causing tension in the universal church, Yeshua and how we meet. Yeshua, that's bar none, one of the biggest arguments that are going to come to a church corner near you somewhere. His name is not Jesus. His name is not. We know that it's been Jesus for the last two or 300 years, but it's not what he heard when he walked to earth. Boy, that causes controversy. <laughs> You've experienced it, not just in your own life, because you're you're humble enough to not only study, but to accept what you study. But you said you shared it with others who are not quite so receptive. Can you give us a synopsis of what happened? Well, I, I, I don't blame people. My response was the same thing. It's kind of like, uh, OK, that's fine for you. But uh, for me, it would be a world change to, to, to change what I call Jesus. Uh, everybody in my church, everybody in my family, all my friends, uh, it's worked okay up to this point. You know, um, why should I change just for some? Exactly. And, and that's exactly where the Judaizers were in the first century when Yeshua came to them. Yeah. They had been walking with Moses for not just a couple of years, but for a, quite a long time, they've been walking with Moses and everything was going just fine. But what's this radical guy over here saying we got to usurp the whole system and, and, and radically change our belief? Not to mention he was preceded by Yaconan the Immerser, whom David was just talking about, was a radical life. And he lived his life in obedience and then got his head chopped off. Well, I think you feel stronger about this issue than I do. I'm still kind of on the fence. Uh, I'm going to try okay. and take you off that fence. That's what, that's what I'm going to try. <laughs> but, you know, there is a difference between the Old Testament 
covenant and and Christ and and the kingdom between the words Jesus and Yeshua. Yeah, there's a, there's a difference, but I, I guess the the only metaphor there I'm looking at is it was a change because because what you said is we've been doing it this way, right. so it's difficult to change. And I'm well, saying I guess done I would it that have way. to be convinced that when we call Jesus Jesus, we're somehow violating something that's that's true and right. Does it have to be a violation? Could it just be a better way? And if it is a better way, wouldn't you want to do what's best as opposed to what was acceptable? Yeah, if we had a chance to start all over, I would probably wish the whole church would have stayed with Yahweh or Yahweh. But, but both, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of wish that uh, the Sabbath had stayed on Saturday. You know, I kind of wish a number of things. But since it didn't, I tend to go along with the Sunday, seventh day, you know. Uh, now, but as an elder and as a teacher, can't you start over? I mean, as, as someone who's allowed to teach and, and knows this, would you rather go with the flow or would you rather show the people that there is a new way? Well, I took your challenge. And in my own private <laughs> devotions every morning, I've used the term Yeshua. Wow. Excellent. Um, you did it. As, a, as an elder, but the guy that I was talking to, the novice, Zachariah, didn't do it at all. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? Well, the people I talked to, I'm sure, didn't do it either. Right. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I have a little more trust in you than maybe they had in me. But, uh, no, I, I used Yeshua because, like, it, it's as good as Jesus, according to your argument. And you're probably right. It's probably better. Uh, is it worth – I've had people call me – they used to call me Ron when I was young. They called me Ronnie. And uh, my middle name is Malcolm, and some people called me Mac. I said, eh, call me whatever you want. I'll, I'll answer as long as you're talking to me. And um, I guess I have to – you have to show me that that same attitude doesn't apply to Jesus. Yeah, and, 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 that's, and that's part of – and for me personally, it wasn't until I did the study that I wouldn't – I would have thought that it didn't matter. You know, and it wasn't until I dove in because in the Hebrew, as we've discussed on previous shows, you know, let's just take the quick the, the, the name Elijah. His name is a name, but it's also a sentence. His name means my God, Eli, Eli is Yah. So his name is a sentence. That's why they would put the nominative you at the end. So we would see it written in scripture, Eliyahu. This way we know we're not talking about my God is Yah as a sentence. We're talking about Eliyahu, the person. And so there was a distinguishing, so there was a meaning behind his name. And so if, if, if his name is Eliyahu and he's saying, my God is Yah, to change his name to Elisus is saying, my God is Zeus. That, that's a difference. And so it's not saying Ron or Ronnie, it's saying my God is somebody different. So in their minds and in their culture, especially when we change the, 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 the name itself, we're changing the entire meaning of the name. So we're not calling him what we used to call him. And because we also see how names were of utmost importance, that when somebody's destiny was changed, he would change their name. And Yeshua even did it in the New Covenant with with Peter. You know, he says, now I'm going to call you this because there's something about this that resembles who you are. And in the Hebrew, Yahshua would means he will save us from our sins, according to what the angel said in Matthew 121. So therefore, the name and the destiny were all entwined into one. And so all my argument is, is I can't see anyone in the first century accepting the term Jesus because they would not have understood in their own culture what it meant. Well, where did the term Jesus come from? I, I, I'm not real clear on this. Where did that come about? 
Okay, and so what happened is when they translated Joshua out of the Old Covenant into the New Covenant Greek, it became Jesus. And then when it went from the Greek into the Latin, it took on yet another twist. And then when it went from the Latin into the English, we, t- we gave it the letter J. And so it went from Yesu to Jesu to Jesus. And the U.S. at the end that we see is what the Greeks used for the masculine ending of a word. And so by the time we go from Yeshua to Jesus, we see like dynamically two different names, you know, and it was it was an error in translation, but it ended up changing the meaning from what well, the Hebrew culture would Jehovah see. Jehovah is a is a was an error in translation. And I would never use it. It was, a, you know, you, you know that story. They used yes. the vowels or the points from Adonai on Yahweh. Excellent. And yet when people talk about Jehovah, you know, I, I think. I think that has to be a, or you would say that's pretty much invalid, that we should not use the word Jehovah, right? Well, it, from, from your initial sentence, you said that it was an error. Right. And I know it's an error. Why would I use it if I know it's an error? And, and that's my only point is like, I know it's wrong. And so the only reason I will continue to use it is because I look at the people and I know they're using it and I'm afraid well, of what they'll think of me. In the, in the Old Testament, uh, Lord with all capital letters was Yahweh. You know, lowercase O-R-D was Adonai, from what I understand. So when when you would hit that all caps and you'd want to, somebody would say, what's the Hebrew word for that? What would you say? Yahweh? Well, uh, I, I would accept Yahweh. I would accept that. Um, my studies have taken me a little bit different than the Yahweh. Um, and, and, and now there are various uh, pronunciations or enunciations that I've seen that I would accept. I know others would be a little more dogmatic. I do not accept Jehovah just because I know it is an error. The other ones I've seen are actually written, and I'm going to say it like this. In the Hebrew, when you modify, you actually can sometimes change the vowels to modify the actual noun. I'll put it in English, and I'm going to make a real simple metaphor. We have a guy named Jack, and we're going to say, hey, that's Jack's jacket. And so all of a sudden, when we look at the sentence, we see J-A-C-K. That's his name. But when we modify it, we say that's Jack's. We put an S on it. So in English, we don't really think too much about it. But it also happened in Hebrew, but they didn't put the S on the end. They might end up putting it somewhere in the middle so we can see that this noun is now being modified somehow. And so what we see a lot of times in Hebrew when we'll see a name, we have to realize, is it being modified or is this just the actual name? The yud heh we know we're just the, the actual consonants. We also know that a four-letter word in Hebrew probably had at least three syllables. We can't find too many four-letter Hebrew consonant words with only two syllables. And so we probably know it's closer to Yahweh. So so through the studies, we would see that the, the Yud and the He, we see as kind of a Yah with the kind of the exhalation. We also know that the Vav, when it's in the middle, takes on a vowel sound, which on the pictorial Hebrew was a nail, which would make a sound in their minds. And so we see the ha, hua, and it almost gives us three syllables, but we can also say it kind of fast down to two. And we also know the angels can bring it down into one, which we also see in the scripture with the yud hey. So we know that the yud hey is acceptable according to the Holy Spirit. We also know that the yud hey va, which we see at the end of a lot of prophets, Yedameyahu and the others, is also acceptable. So what is the exact enunciation? We leave it up to people's conscience. But what do we know that it isn't? We know it isn't Jehovah. Right. We know that one was the hybrid that was used to hide the Yahweh. 
Um, and also, we took the gloves off on another topic. And this is just review. The church. And I take the stance that what we see today in America and around the world because of American missionaries is wrong. It's rich. It's a business. It's an organization. Sometimes they're 501c3 organizations. I say it's wrong. The reason I say it's wrong is because I don't see it. And I'm going to show you why. Now, I don't have a Bible in front of me, so I'm going to quote some stuff. I'm going to do this in a general term. Before I do, 323-744-4841 if you want to call and cuss me out because you disagree and you agree with Ron. That is, I'm okay with that. I've had to become okay with that. Now, Ron, it says in, in the scriptures, right, it says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh. So off top, we got the number two. I'm not even going to go to the three. We have two. It also says, uh, if you have a tongue, let two or three at the most, then let someone interpret. So again, we have two or three more. We're already at about four or five different people in operation. It also says in these same chapters, and, and anyone can see this in Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, it also says when you come together, everyone has a psalm, a hymn, or spiritual song. Let it all be done. So right now we have the two prophets, we have the two tongue talkers, we have an interpreter, and we have somebody with a psalm and a hymn and a spiritual song. Already we're at eight people in operation at this service. And then to make matters worse, you know how he summarizes this whole thing? He says if a visitor comes in, everyone is going to prophesy to the visitor. He's going to be convicted by all. He's going to fall on his face and say, wow, God is among all of you, is what he said would happen at a service that he set up. But what we see, instead of all speaking to one, we see one speaking to all. It's the direct contradiction of the paradigm that he set up. So how could I say what we see today is acceptable when it's in direct contradiction to what we read? Wow. Uh, he wasn't. I caught him off guard. He, he was not ready for this. I, uh, <laughs> I think what Paul was saying, let two or three. I don't think he was saying you have to have two or three. Or to have a, an, an authentic church, you have to have two or three. Uh, he was saying, when you gather, this is ideal. You know, different people do different things. You all practice spiritual gifts. Uh, but I don't think he was saying everybody has to do all of this. I, I agree with you. The church today is it's based on the old Roman style where we'll build a building. Uh, we have a, a clergyman speak. And then if you accept Christ, you join us. Uh, and that's not how the early church functioned. But I found the true church within this church. Like uh, your other caller, David, uh, I, I go into prisons once a week, and I find the church there. Uh, he spoke about the church as opposed to the group in prison. I'm sure David would agree with me, but that group in prison is the church. There's one church, and a piece of it is in prison. And I think that's why he goes in, because that piece isn't always being ministered to. Uh, I find pieces of it everywhere. So rather than looking at the whole thing and saying this is wrong, I guess I'm in a, a, a church that is not ideal. It's not right. And, and it will be. It's getting better all the time. It's closer now to what it should be than it was 50 years or 100 years ago. Now, can I just ask you a question? You said you're not going to say it's wrong, but you say it isn't right. Can you help me understand that statement? Well, it's becoming right. I think the church is moving in a more New Testament direction. I think there has been, I mean— Luther rediscovered salvation by faith. Wesley rediscovered holiness and, the, you know, the work of the Holy Spirit. And in the 20th century, Azusa Street rediscovered the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The church is becoming richer and more authentic as time goes by. 
And I see it becoming more rich and becoming more authentic. And within the church, as it's becoming, I believe, more authentic, I find the true church. Now, let me ask you this. You say it's becoming. Yes. So over time, it's becoming. I think so. But what if I wanted to go somewhere tomorrow? Like, I don't have time for becoming like I'm getting up there in age. Right. I don't I don't have time for, you know, the next generation. Well, you're I want to go somewhere tomorrow. You're out to of the, luck to the ecclesia. You're out of luck because I don't think that exists here in the West. <laughs> but can we create it? That's uh, that's I guess that's, that's I the think question. it's being created. But I think you're going to miss the creation if you're outside the traditional church. I see within the church the seeds of the creation of what you're talking about. I see it outside the traditional church because I see people in tradition being so bound to tradition, they are afraid to look outside. I met you within the traditional church. I met you in prison. (laughs) And and I consider that to be part of the traditional church. See, and I I don't because when I I say tradition, when I say non-religious, I'm looking at a pastor pulpit and pew and I say, yuck, it didn't work, it hasn't worked, and it is not working. What it works for is a social club. It's a place that we can go and have fun. It's a place we can get dressed up and get goosebumps. But I'm talking about what he set up, where he says in Corinthians, every one of you, every single person who is in a pew somewhere has a gift. And he also says by the Holy Spirit power, everybody has to give. That's not what he was saying. He he says everybody has a gift and each gift is for the edification of the body. Right. Paul said that his (laughs) gift of celibacy was a charismatic gift, but that's not expressed on Sunday morning. But he says in, in Corinthians 12 that. That Zechariah, as a novice, has a gift. Right. And he says, whether it's a word of wisdom or word of knowledge, each of these must be done for the edification of the body. Maybe Zechariah is using his gift at this moment by hooking up this computer. And then he absolutely is. And so because we're allowing him to exercise his gift, it's making everything better. On a Sunday morning, I do not see that. I see one man standing in a pulpit talking the whole time. Well, Sunday morning is not the whole entirety of the church. Uh that the church exists in small groups, it exists in prison ministry, it exists here. I consider us as part of the, the church. Absolutely. I don't consider us outside the traditional church. We are part of the body of Christ. We are part of the body, but I'm saying that the traditional church is not part of the body. It's a tradition that is hurting the body. We have to go to the—we're back on with David. He is back on line one. Go ahead, David. What do you got for us? Hey, I was just listening in on that. Um, I just— want to throw in my my thoughts um where i've been where i've come in with this is that god is doing all of this he's working through all of us he's working through um the church in its imperfect sense right now um one of the things that has helped me to resolve some of this struggle is that recognition that of obedience and as we're all called to follow god in our imperfect ways um, he has a design and a plan for it all. And for me, it comes across as even um, a little conceited to think that he, his plan could be messed up by us um, doing church wrong. Because uh, I see people growing in churches, and as Pastor Ron said, that you know people are, it's getting better. Um, and so to your question of, someone that's speaking today, what are they supposed to do? God's got that covered. He's going to guide them. He's going to lead them. If we really believe that he's in charge, that his Holy Spirit, he is the one who calls us to redemption and into that relationship, he's got it covered. Um, It's not to say we shouldn't have the conversations about how do we do this better, but we can't screw this up because this is God's work. It's perfect. It was planned out long before 
any of us came on the scene. And that's where it comes back to obedience for me. If each one of us is doing the thing that God calls us to do, that's building his church, that's redeeming all of creation that he says that he set out to do, and we can just go about doing that. So, And I want to say, first off, yeah, I want to say I agree with you on the fact that when people are operating, we're moving a little bit closer. But I'm going to disagree with what you said, that humans can't screw it up. If we ask Adam if he could screw up God's plan, he would probably say, yeah, I could screw it up. If we if we ask Abraham if he could screw up God's plan, he did some things he wasn't supposed to do. He operated in the flesh and he screwed things up. It is human nature to sin. And, and so the question is not uh, about can we mess up, in my, in my opinion, it's can we do it better? I see something written in Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, and it is a far cry from what I see on Sunday morning. My heart is let's do it their way, not our way. I don't want to justify what we see today when we both admitted Ron said it's not right. You said it's imperfect. Well, if we both if we all see this, my heart is, well, let's go back to what is written, not what we see today. And one point I want to make. I, is, well, just here's my point. Hang you on, always David, hear the old saying. You cannot judge a group of people by the few bad actions of a few. But here we are judging an entire group of people based on the few good actions of a few. We have a few good actions of a few people in a church that doesn't work, and we're holding on that. And to me, it just doesn't work. Go ahead, David. I would say that when Paul was writing— I don't know if his specific intent was to say this is the model of church that works forever, or if this is the model of church that works in Corinth that you should follow. If what he was writing was prescriptive, that this is how it should be now and forever, yes. But if he's saying that this is something that works right now, we should give it thought and credence, but if that... I I think when we... I hear a lot of romanticizing and we should go back to the old ways and I don't know if it was God's intent in having that in the scripture that this is how it should always be well even if it's not how it's always should be it's how they started and I don't want to start any other place than how they started and and I'm not looking at it as a church because one thing that a lot of our brothers talk about here it's not even really about the church it's about operating the way Yeshua wants us to operate when we get together And if Zechariah has a gift, a spiritual gift, as it says that everyone does, and David, you have a gift, and it says that you do. When I sit in a room with all of you put together, I want to know what you have from God for me. I don't want to be the only one in conversation. I don't want to sit and be the only minister. I need what you have. My grandmother has a gift of healing, and so I need her in the room to operate. If she's sitting beside me in a pew, she doesn't have that opportunity to operate. What Pastor Ron is saying, and I agree to, Sometimes what we see on Sunday isn't everything, and that's kind of where his heart is. But, David, I'm, I'm going I'm to challenge you is, you know, if you're ministering to people in a prison and they have something for you, when are they going to be empowered to give it to you? Or are they always going to be addicted to you giving something to them so now you die on the vine and they have the operation of one gift? Right. No, I agree 100 percent with that. And I guess that's where I, I look at it. Um, or one of the, the purposes in my ministry is to allow that to happen. And it does look a lot more like the early church model. Um, but I, I don't, I don't want to discount that people are coming 
to know God in the in the church as well, and we should look at it as not let's blow this all up. Let's just see what we need to come alongside and also do. Absolutely, and we want to. Thank One you. Question da- I've had. Excuse me. Well, well, one second. We got to let David go. We're going to let you ask your question, but we also have another caller on, and we have five oh, minutes right. left. So, Pastor Ron, hold your thought. Thank you, David. Peter from Kansas, go ahead. You have a question. Hey, I just heard uh, our brother's comment, and I was just like, "Wow, that's." I, I really appreciate his perspective. Uh, yeah, I mean, how can we hold on to the good, you know, that's already taken place, right? In, in the church that we see, the church that we know. And yet, uh, I mean, I, I suppose my, my big question real quick is, uh, when you feel like you have a gift to help, to help the existing church, how do you, how do you bridge, bridge the connection between your gift and opportunity? Absolutely. You can't, uh, Brother Peter. Uh, I've been in churches pretty much my whole life in a traditional setting. And you kind of got to, the way it is set up, it doesn't necessarily work. Now, from what Pastor Ron is telling me, there's a lot of churches going towards a little more of the house meeting. Let it be clear, it doesn't matter where, it matters who. Who is in the operation in that room, whether it's in the church building or in the living room? So we're not gonna, we're not really disputing where. The, my concern is, Pat, uh, Peter, I need what you have. David, I need what you have. Michael, who called in from Ohio on line two, we need what you have. We have to develop a place. Doesn't matter if it's on Sunday or not. But what matters is, Peter, we're going to have to let you go. You can take this answer off because, yeah, we're getting a little bit of feedback. But we want to thank you for your question, and we're going to continue to answer that. But uh, it's a matter of who and, and is he in operation? Because, again, a sermon on Sunday is not church. It's a sermon on Sunday. That's my only point. What we've developed on Sunday is a classroom. What we need is a gymnasium. We need a place where people could come and work out their spiritual gifts and salvation. We don't need just a lecture. That's that's the argument. So is there anything good out of a lecture? Of course there is, because it's also a gift. So we don't nullify what is good. We bring the gift in of teaching, but we don't eliminate, because we're teaching, Everything else that is supposed to be in operation, empower the people with Yeshua so Yeshua can operate through everybody. And then we can all grow by the gifts he's given everybody and not just the one is my only point. Pastor Ron, you had a thought. Well, our church is about 600 people and probably half of them are in what's called cell groups or home groups. And that's meeting in living rooms. You know, there's a leader. Uh, They Sometimes they'll sing, they worship, they pray for each other. There's a, usually a study, and it's what we're talking about here. So out of 600 people, 300 are in home groups. So, so you've got, the, and the preacher will say from the pulpit, if you just come on Sunday morning, this is not what, this is not church. So in a sense, we, there is movement toward the yes. good. Now, on the other hand, say I just break from this yes. and decide this isn't right. This is getting in the way of God's best. I have not, and this is a question I have, Excellent. why, if it's God's will to, to put this New Testament church together, the only times I have seen it tried, it's failed. And, and, I'm, and this is a question. I don't have an answer for this. Why has not it worked? Is it because of pride? Is it because of demonic oppression? Uh, against something that is so potently uh, good. Uh, I have been involved in a number of, of home group starts. We started a church like this, and it didn't go. It, it, it hit problems. And, 
I'm wondering why. I, I think it's to me, it's just accountability. You're you're in that room with a small group of people, and, and now it's real, and it's just. Yeah, and and I see we're down to the last couple minutes, Ron. You asked a, a, an hour, a question with an hour answer, and we have about two minutes, so we're going to have to carry this over into next week. And so that's what I'm going to do. We're going to leave that question till next week. We kind of have to because you know. Um, we're, we're kind of out of time. We're at, we're at the back, and I want to make sure we kind of really give that answer. But I can say it in, in, in one in a couple summaries, just here, real quick. Yeshua is missing, you know. And I'm not talking about just a name. I'm talking about He as a person. The way they were set up, we see Yeshua as the one who shares Himself with the twelve. The twelve, in turn, don't share themselves or their ministry or anything. They share Yeshua with the thousands. The thousands end up splitting up, and we see Yeshua being spread out to the people. We're not church planners. We're Yeshua planners. We share Yeshua, and he brings people together through his life. And then, and only then, because what happens is exactly what you said. We're trying to start from step three when we need to come all the way back to Yeshua and really starting in these prayer groups and really laying it all down, laying down our idols, our perceptions, our ministries, our titles, our businesses, laying it all down, starting on our face at Yeshua, and then allowing him to be the head and not just the sermon or the title or the tale. So we have to go. Uh, Michael, David, Peter, please call back next week. We want to continue this conversation. Um, For those of you who didn't get to call in, we thank you for tuning in. And don't forget to look at the archives. And we, Zachariah and myself, will be back in about an hour. And we're going to be talking about your finances. Yes, on the risk investigators report and that will be about 1 p.m east coast time but for the non-religious christian news for pastor ron for zachariah this is yakanan yah bless see you next week